We're here to talk about the book of Revelation. I got to tell you, this has been um, a a journey for me because I never would have thought that I'd ever get to this point in my ministry to be able to preach about the first three chapters of uh, Revelation. Remember what I've told you, after the first three chapters, then we have the rapture. So we're all going to be gone when I get finished. So I know some of you want me to go faster than others, but... We had the privilege uh, in Faith Builders, when we were Faith Builders, to go to Greece and Turkey in 2011. That's a lot of years ago. 2011, we went to Greece and Turkey. Uh, We got to uh, that particular trip, that tour trip of, I don't know, we had about 30 people, maybe 40 people, I don't remember. But, by the way, who did go? Okay, you went, okay, we have some that are still here. Um. Uh, it included Crete that we went to. It included Santorini, which has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. Um, <laughs> but it's a very beautiful island. And then there was Patmos. Patmos is a rock. I wouldn't mind living on that rock. I mean, it's away from everything. It, it's just out there in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's kind of nice. Um, on that tour, Patmos, we got to go into this cave on Patmos. And the tour guide was telling us how uh, the Apostle John stood there and wrote out the book of Revelation because he had this little uh, cutout in the cave wall and he was standing and writing it. I don't know if that's true. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. But when he was held captive there, when the Apostle was held captive there, he, he received the revelation from God. And he was told to write. And he wrote. Is there, am I hearing a... What is that noise? The other side? Is that loud? Can you have them close their doors? <laughs> anyway. Patmos is an island. It's an island in the Mediterranean. It is approximately 65 miles from Ephesus. When we went on this tour, uh, we flew into what they call Izmir, which is the city of Ephesus, and we began to our trip there in this city of Izmir, which is now Ephesus. Ephesus is sort of a um, still there, um, lots of mortar and, and, and stone and everything else around, that kind of thing. Um, that's, a, that's about what Ephesus is. 65 miles away from Patmos. Uh, while the island of Patmos is a rock, it's a wasteland. It's, um, I think it's very attractive. Others may not. It is eight miles long and five miles wide. Eight miles long and five miles wide. It's not very populated, and the reason is because there's steep cliffs and things like that that are there that will not allow you to build a house and all of that kind of thing. Now, since I cannot verify that John was actually in that cave, that he actually stood there writing the book of Revelation as this tour guide had explained, I can tell you that what we have today is God's inspired, perfect, inerrant word in our hands. However, it is mistreated very often. 
it is mistreated, misunderstood. Uh, it is um, misinterpreted uh, crazily sometimes that you can't even uh, believe that somebody could come up with it. Uh, I'm going to give just the introduction. I want to give a, a whole look at the book. We're going to go to different verses. Yes, we are going to go into beyond chapter 3. But I want you to see the whole picture of the book of Revelation. But I still only expect to do three chapters because then there's the, revel- the rapture. I want to make sure uh, that this is a thorough introduction. I'm probably going to leave some things out. And if I do, please let me know. And if you have questions about those things, I'd like to be able to answer those things. I don't want to cause any confusion here. I want to know why I came to the understanding that I have come to through my study. Um, I want to make sure that we're understanding this scripture properly. We will be looking at things that you generally do not examine as you teach through a book. I mean, when I do an introduction, it's usually very, very simple. I'll give you an outline, and this is what it is. Paul wrote it, or this one wrote it, or whatever. There are concepts here that I hope to make as clear as possible. And if they are not, please get in touch with me. While Revelation speaks of things to come, it still calls for repentance today. Isn't that amazing? Even though it's a book about the future, Jesus still calls us for repentance today. He, he doesn't stop doing that until the world is over and then you don't have a, a chance, but he's still calling people to repentance. Revelation still calls for life change, that we are not to remain as we are. We are not to continue in the sin that we have. And there are some very dramatic ways that he does this. There, this is a book, I believe, a biblical urgency kind of book that the reader, the listener needs to see and they need to have a heart to repent. They need to have a heart to change. That is distracting. Thank you, sir. That is distracting. I, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming from somewhere. I don't know where it's coming from, but please, um, I'm sorry that I distracted you now. We're in the book of Revelation. What would you expect? Come on. There's a biblical urgency here. And that's what we need to look at. And it's calling for the church to repent. And I mean the universal church. It's going to get to specific churches. And we're going to look at those specific churches, but it's calling for uh, universal church uh, repentance. Here are some verses that I pulled out about this biblical urgency. In Revelation 2.5, remember from where you have fallen and repent. This is Jesus saying these things. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. Revelation 2.16, it says, therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly. Uh, that those are uh, urgency messages here. You either repent or I'm going to come. That's what Jesus is saying. And in Revelation two twenty two it says, 
He wants you to repent of your deeds. Now, specifically, he's talking about the universal church where some people aren't saved. Just like today, there are people in the church and grace community that aren't saved. And he's calling for those folks to repent. Just as I did in the book of of, uh, Matthew, and we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, he was calling for repentance there. To change. Matter of fact, what did he say there? Let's go back to Matthew, because it's hard for me to leave it. Well, go back to Matthew and see what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's an urgency here as well. And he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Wow. They even knew theology. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? Yeah, we did works in the church. We played in the band. We did. Uh, uh, we set up the chairs. We, you know, we had them turn off the ma- noise from outside. Whatever it is, <laughs> all the kinds of things that we do around the church, and in your name, perform many miracles. I've never performed a miracle before, folks. Believe me, my wife will tell you. And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Is that urgent? Is that scary? Is that scary? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's what he's saying here when we get to the book of Revelation. Repent of your deeds. Revelation 3.3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Now, I, I can't imagine being somebody who would sit in the church and hear message after message after message from John MacArthur and maybe anybody else that preaches in that pulpit or, or any pulpit, and they continue to do what they want to do. They continue to live their life the way they want to. Somebody came up to me, they're counseling somebody, and, and I, I said, Proverbs thirteen fifteen. the way of the treacherous is hard. You keep doing those things, you're still going to be in a difficult place. Making bad decisions to continue your sin is only going to bring you to that bad place, that painful place. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. And then in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Folks, Revelation, that particular word, means to unveil, to uncover. That's what is going to happen here in the book of Revelation. It's to uncover, and it's to uncover that which was previously hidden. That's what it's going to do. It's going to be an uncovering so that people at this time would understand. People at our time should be able to understand. Revelation is the final consummation of history. That's what it is. It's the final consummation of all things. The purpose of the book is to reveal the future of God's plan. You want to know what God's going to do? This is what he's going to do. Revelation is not simply John relating the vision that was given to him. There was a purpose. There was a purpose. The repentance of the sinner. That's the purpose. Yes, there's a preparation for the future, but that future preparation is done in repentance. 
When I come to know Jesus Christ and I give him my life and I say, you do whatever you want to do with my life, that means it's up to him. I still need, need to live faithfully. I need to live honestly. I need to live rightly. I mean, all the places that Paul speaks about now live in this kind of manner, live this way. That's what I need to be doing. That's what you need to be doing. That's for all of us. Speaking of vision, um, I do not believe that what John has written here is his creative description of what he saw. I don't believe that John embellished on this or added to this or, or tried to make it more picturesque or make, make it more scary, whatever. I don't think John did that at all. I believe he is relating to us exactly as the vision was related to him. He may not have understood that vision. And, and a lot of things, how could you understand it? But he's still related to us exactly as he saw it. Maybe. At some points, he is unable to relate what he saw. But remember, the Holy Spirit is also writing the Scripture with him. It's the man using his words, using his understanding, but the Holy Spirit helping him to relate these words. The Holy Spirit's inclusion in writing is, is very clear from this first century writer. Look at one one, Revelation one one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Here it is. It's been communicated. It's been given to him. One eleven. That's like a recording playing in the background or something. That's not happening at Grace Community Church. It's the Yankees, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been a lot of places where I've been interrupted when I speak and all that kind of stuff. I had a guy come up and, and start to argue with me in the minute, 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 yeah, when I'm preaching. This is distracting. <laughs> One eleven saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. That's what you're supposed to do. Send this to them with the book, what you see. There's nothing else. You don't write something that is not seen. You don't put something in there and embellish it, as I said before. And then 119 says this, Therefore write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. That's what he's supposed to do, nothing else. So we can see from Scripture that it's been um, told to us that it's nothing outside of the Scripture that's been given. It's, it's God speaking to him, telling him this is what you need to do. Now we see uh, from the text of Scripture, John was in the Spirit when he writes. Revelation 1.10. 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet. I was in the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has obviously entered into John, and and he's helping him to relate what is going on in this vision. 4.2, we see that as well there. And it says... uh, uh, immediately in 4.2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So what he sees there is because of what the Spirit has given to him. It's related to him. 17.3, we see again, and he carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of a blasphemous names, having seven heads and seven horns and ten horns. I've never seen a woman with seven heads. Some act like it, but I've never seen one. But you understand what is being said here. How can you relate that to somebody else? Seven heads. But that's what he's seeing because he's in the spirit, and that's the way the Lord wants him to write it. There's a reason for that, and we'll come to that if we don't get raptured, maybe. 21.10. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I, I mean, there are some incredible things that are being said here that this is what he's seeing, and he's trying to relate all of these things to us, and he's just writing down what he's seeing, nothing else. That's the point I'm trying to make here, folks. It's not as if, because some Christian theologians, commentators say, he didn't really see that, he made it up. Yeah. They call themselves Christians, and they call themselves commentators, but they said he made it up. I don't believe that he made it up. Folks, this is not a dream. When you have a dream, and and folks, this is to relieve you of your guilt when you have a dream, okay? It's uncontrolled. You you may dream of something, you want something, uh, you may dream about it, but that's uncontrolled. It's uncontrolled state of incoherence. John was extremely alert. What he's saying, he's, he's speaking of it in terms of being extremely alert. He, he knows exactly what's taking place. I, I know someone who has lots of dreams, and they tell me their dreams, but they miss this, and they don't remember this, and all of that kind of stuff, because they're not alert during that. They may make up some of it, okay, but they don't really know what's going on. He is extremely alert about what's taking place. Revelation means the unveiling of the future, and he's seeing the future. Could you imagine being a first, well, he'd be in the second century by this point, and he's looking at these things, and he can't even relate to them. They're completely different than anything he knows. I mean, I, I've heard some commentators say, oh, well, these are, uh, are um, tanks, and these are helicopters coming in, and these are this, and these are that. My goodness, Just take what he says there. Just use what he says. You don't have to go out into that kind of a thing. This is much like what goes on in our society today. Everyone wants to know the future. 
everyone wants to know the future. Who is going to win the election? Everybody wants to know that. Here we are in election season. Everybody wants to know who's going to. You listen to the news at night. You go insane. You know, well, it's 52.1, you know, and they got, I mean, who cares? Who cares? The one who's going to win the election is the one God wants. Thank you. What stock should we invest in? Well, folks, if we're going to have the revelation before we finish, uh, you know, chapter 3, you don't need to know what's going to be you should invest in. Or, actually, what time is the rapture coming? All of those things we want to look for. Now, I may step on some of my friends' toes here. Please excuse me for stepping on some of your toes. Some even want to hunt out conspiracy theories to figure out what's going to happen and predict what's going to happen in, in, in the future. And a lot of that is conjuring up stuff and all of that kind of thing. Folks, the future is in your hands right here. This is where it is. You don't go, need to go to a tarot card reader. You don't need to go to somebody who can read your palm. I can't read anything. It doesn't look like a W. It doesn't look like an M. I mean, come on. You, you could try those things, uh, and, and that's to no avail. As a matter of fact, why don't you go to the Witch of Endor? <laughs> Saul tried that. He went to the Witch of Endor to find out if he could get Samuel to come back and so that he could ask Samuel some questions. That's, you're going in all the wrong places when you already have it here. You know exactly what's going to happen in the apocalypse. Yeah, you know, there's no guessing. It's right there. It's been revealed to you. God's not hiding anything. So, why the book of Revelation? If we give a click to the... There we go. Why the book of Revelation? Why did I choose that? That's a good question, folks, because I wrestled over it for a long, long time. Um, Having much more time these days with splitting up preaching with Carl and, and such, I get to think about it a little bit longer. And I kept wrestling back and forth. Where do I want to go? I've preached a lot of Paul's messages, and I've been in the New Testament, you know, Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the Gospels. Where do I want to go? And I wanted to do something unusual. Um, hmm. So, this particular structure here in Revelation is not the same kind of structure that you find in a letter from Paul. Um, they're not the typical structure, and it's not about the warnings about living. Uh, so why would I want to do that? Because I want to make it as as useful for today. That's what I am. I'm a preacher of today, wanting to bring it to the people of today to see how we need to grow today. That, that's, that's what I care about. I mean, I can do you all kinds of theories and all that. That's not who I am. So Why? Because this is for today. I mean, that's the bottom line. As the church in America is beginning to experience some un poquito uh, persecution, just a little bit, not, not a whole lot, we need to look at where our hope is, folks. We need to look at where our hope is. The Lord gives us the complete story about what's going to happen in the future. And I believe that day is drawing near. Uh, I mean, Paul said it. He was thinking it's going to come soon. And, 
And, you know, this is 2,000 years later, so I know I even have a better chance, okay? That's the story of the Revelation. It's for today. Number two, the warning that is here amplifies what was in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching back there. Jesus is speaking here in the first three chapters. Jesus was calling for his listeners to hear and to follow him for salvation. That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen and follow. To believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is. That does not change. Even at the end of the story, it's still the same thing. Do you know there will be people, and I'm going to throw this in there, and there will be a rapture, I believe, in pre-wrath. No, I don't. There will be a pre-trib, um, okay. Uh, I was going to say pre-wrath rapture. I was reading about that this morning, but that, that we, that's for later. Okay, we'll talk about that. But we're going to be taken out of the world. But you know what? People are going to get saved at that time of tribulation, of those seven years. I hope my brothers and my brother and two brothers and sister do that. I hope, I mean, I've told them enough. I was hope they would start to look for the answer and they would see that they don't have it and, and that's what they would do. I don't know. Hopefully you've left things for your family for them to look and find when you're gone. It's not just, you know, they get your house. It's not that they just get your things, but you, they get your papers that you're leaving for them to read and and this is what's going to happen, and this is what is happening, and some people will get saved, and those people are going to live through the tribulation. They are. The church universal must take a look at itself. I, I see, like we were talking, jokingly saying, the meadow, the harvest, you know. I, how you can name yourself that without calling yourself church or have that somewhere in your name. That's what's happening to the church, folks. It's getting watered down. Even for those churches that are trying to take Baptists out of it, they're still watering it down. But that's what's going on in the church universal. Number three, there is much interest in what the apocalypse has to say. Uh, you, you see it. I, I turned on my phone yesterday, or I got my phone out, and, and I was looking at my uh, Facebook, and you know what? Somebody's got the, the uh, rapture in there, and I'm going, okay, who put that together? You know, and there's all kinds of people putting these things together. I thought it was kind of fun. Watch it for a little while. And uh, they have all kinds of theories of what's going to happen, but, but there's confusion out there. There's confusion on the part of believers as to what the scriptures actually say. This is the last book, folks. If we got the first book right, we need to get the last one right. If God created man and woman, then we need to know what he does at the end. (coughs) Number four, I took this um, quote from H.B. Sweat. I don't think it's sweet, 
Sweat, and he, and he said this, because I, I never knew the man, but he said this, in form it is an epistle containing an apocalyptic prophecy in spirit and inner purpose it is pastoral i want you to know up to this point i had never seen this as being pastoral why would i but it is it's speaking to the church it's trying to tell the church to repent come back I never saw it as pastoral, not until I started the study of this book and tried to see. You see, the, the gentle, persistent shepherding of John is going on here for the church that is out there. That's what's going on. He's calling the churches to obedience through the Holy Spirit working in him. He's calling the churches to obedience. You know why? Because here he is at the end of that first century, second century beginning, or whatever you want to call that, and he's saying, the church is not being obedient. Can you imagine? They were, they, they were close to the, to the death of Christ, and they're already disobedient. It's like our children. <laughs> Even after they've been corrected. And they say, yes, mom, no mom, yes, dad, no dad. They go out and they be disobedient. <laughs> Revelation speaks to the heart of humanity about our walk. Revelation speaks to the heart of humanity about being f their fidelity to Christ and his word. It, it's something more than that even. Number five. Look with me at Revelation 1.1. <clears throat> and it says there in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The things which must soon take place. This is the main reason for the book of Revelation. That which is about to take place is being spoken of by God himself through the Holy Spirit, through John, and he's trying to let us know, hey, this is what's going to happen. Number six, there are warnings here. Warnings to the churches, uh, chapters 2 and 3, these churches are crowded with folks who have overwhelming connection to the world. Folks, you cannot, okay, in reality, be disconnected from the world. You can be disconnected from their thinking, but you still have to go to the store and buy their goods. You still have to... Uh, use their phones or whatever else, even though it's called an iPhone. You still do those things. You are connected to the world. Matter of fact, if you sit down and you watch any kind of television, uh, commercial after commercial is about all this psychology, all this psychiatry, all of this, all the time. Trying to sell you more drugs. More and more drugs. We have an overwhelming connection to the world. They try to run our lives. There's a stunning warning here in 3.3. 3.1, I'm sorry, 3.1. And it says there, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have done, that you have a name 
that you are alive, but you are dead. That, that's incredibly stunning that you are dead. That's a stunning warning. He says that to a church. We would hope that's not our church, but I would venture to say some of you came out of that church, okay, where they were dead. I've heard that as testimony sometimes when they were in a church and, and all they cared about was how much music you played. That they were in a church where all they cared about was uh, Sunday potlucks. That's all they cared about. They did not care about the body of Christ growing in faith. And seven, another purpose is to fulfill the prophecies that are in the Old and New Testament. There are numerous prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled, but that's going to happen at the consummation of the world. We will see these prophecies in our study. We'll take a look how God particularly called people to himself. The question is, will they listen? Will they listen? Or will they continue to be stubborn? Because that's what I, I generally find when somebody doesn't want to listen. They're stubborn. Do you know what I normally do? I ask them if they're Irish. <laughs> I don't care what kind of person they have sitting in front of me. I, it could be from a foreign country. Are you Irish? I'm not Irish. I'm Filipino. I said, oh, I've got the excuse because I'm Irish. You know what I'm trying to say there. We don't have an excuse for being stubborn. We need to do what God has called us to do. What I'd like to do, and um, my goodness, can't believe, stole my time. I'm going to get started on Genesis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have plenty of time. I'm going to start on Genesis. Um, we're going to pull this tour bus over. Okay, this is what it is. It's a tour bus today. We're going to pull it over, and we're going to make some observations. I want you to see these observations. So if we could look at, there we go, Genesis and Revelation. I want you to see this. The tour bus, we want to smell the flowers. We don't want to let them go by. We want to take how these two books, beginning and end, come up. Now, I saw some other, and I need to make, I saw some of the commentators talk about this. Not many, but I happened to see that. I thought, you know what? This is a good thing to do. Genesis, we find mankind being kicked out of paradise. That's what happens. Man gets kicked out of paradise. In Revelation, mankind finds, or I should say chosen mankind, entering into paradise. Isn't that incredible? We got kicked out there, Genesis 3, and now we're entering into paradise. In Genesis, we find sin entering mankind, which brings sorrow and tears. You know, I am um, emotional at times. That happens to happen. You know, we went to Auschwitz. And, and that bothered me. Mankind killing mankind. 
In Auschwitz, the train came through the center of the town and dropped the Jews off to go get in the in the uh, in there to be burned. There were kids there. We saw all these boots and shoes from little kids. Carl reminding us about what happened in Mississippi. And folks, like that stuff is going on today. That goes on all over the world. Mankind's inhumanity to mankind is not new. It's been going on for centuries. You know, you go back and you look at history, and that's what mankind is good at. What is it? John, um, Jeremiah 79. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Wicked. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes 9.3 says that the heart of man is insane. And that doesn't mean he's crazy. It means he does things that are not God-following. That's what it means. But here it enters into the world. Why? It enters into the world because Satan tricks. That's <laughs> no, not tricks. He just enticed humanity to sin. Genesis three seventeen, and then Adam said to, uh, and then to Adam he said, "Because you have listened to the voice of your wife." Now, gentlemen, that does not give you an excuse not to listen to your wife. You need to make sure you uh, know that. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying. You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. You're going to have to work hard. That's what life is about, is working hard. I remember when I was about 11 years old, I said to my dad, I, my jeans are worn out. He said, go get a job. I was 11 years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and he pointed out some things that I could do. He said, walk up to that house there. The lady has a lot of leaves on her lawn. See if she can... You can, okay, so I started doing these things. Hey, that's kind of nice. I put, you know, $2 in my pocket. Folks, Genesis tells us sin entered into the world there. And then there's sorrow, there's tears. Death happens. Slaughter happens. One of the things that just absolutely blew me away, I read a book called Neighbors years and years and years ago. And it was about this town that was in Poland that when the Germans came in, they just told the Polish people, we're going to leave you alone. You go do whatever you want to do with the Jews. Took one week and there was not a Jew left. Wait a minute. Wasn't the Germans doing that to them? The Polish people were able to come in and take over the tailor shop. They were able to take care of, take care of all of these other things. I'm going, wait a minute. They lived together, and they said about 400 years together. That's the guy who wrote the book. So how can that be? That's the heart of man. Desperately wicked. Revelation finds sin being dealt with. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 4. says this, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I like that. I like when that's taken care of and there's no more pain. No more suffering. Genesis 
finds the death of man because of disobedience. We see that through the um, sin of one man, death entered into the world. Revelation finds the obliteration of death by the God-man. There's no more death. It doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Genesis, Satan opposes all of mankind. He's there. He is your pain in the neck, so to speak. In Revelation, Satan is gone. Look, Listen to what happens to him. I love this. 20.10, it says, And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They're gone. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by that. He's gone. Another one is Genesis. We see a Redeemer is promised. We see that in 315. There is a promise there. Revelation redemption is accomplished. We see that in Revelation. Uh, redemption is accomplished. See that in 5, 9, and 10. <clears throat> and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God and your blood, uh, and with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests who are God, and they will reign upon the earth. Redemption is accomplished. Just a few more here, and we may go over a little bit. Genesis is the beginning of the devastation of mankind. And when I think of devastation, I think of things like Auschwitz and those other things, the Holocaust and man's inhumanity to man. It's sad. Revelation is the end of Satan. It's the end of Satan, his devastation in the lake of fire. Genesis is the first, in the first chapters, announces the creation. Revelation speaks of the creation over and over again. I think we have some, chat, some verses there, and you can look at those, Revelation 4.11, 10.6, and especially 4.14.7. Look at those. Genesis, the land, the earth, is cursed. In Revelation, there's no more curse. That's how there's a connection between these two books, the beginning and the end. That was just a little bit extra for you to contemplate about. Uh, But notice the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation concentrate on one particular thing about God. He's sovereign. He doesn't miss anything. He is sovereign. His sovereign kingship, his transcendency over the world, all of this is under his control. We may think it's out of control. You know, you, you, you look at certain aspects of what's going on in the United States and certain aspects of what's going on all over the world, and you say, oh, this is... Un- no, it's under his control. God is both creator and judge. He created, he judges. In a sense, it's his story. History is his story. 
God's judgment throughout the book of Genesis and into the book of Revelation displays his righteous indignation against sin. Years ago, one time my dad spanked me, and I didn't do the deed that he was spanking me for. Wow, that's, that sounds... <laughs> I didn't hear that. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to ignore that, because I didn't hear it anyway. Anyway, and so I said to my dad, you know, you spanked me for something I didn't do. And he said, you know what, there's probably something you did do, and I didn't spank you for it. <laughs> And I said, you're right. You're right. You're right. Folks, look at the mercy of God and how you don't get spanked. Look at the mercy of God and see how much you don't get spanked. Because he has the right as the judge to spank you every single stinking day. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it because he is a gracious, merciful God. So unlike us, isn't he? You know, when we talk about all of this ugliness of mankind, he's so unlike us. Grab a hold of that. Hold on to that. See that and find joy and hope in that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your immense mercy, uh, that you love us beyond what we could even think or even fathom. Lord, we look forward to learning more about Revelation. We pray, Lord God, that if you return, we would find it all out in your name. Amen.